This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Here at Death by Incarceration, we're committed to truth, justice, and the idea that every person should be granted the opportunity to change. Our upcoming interviews, new content, and social media posts will be taking on the issues of re-entry, education in prison, and the latest Supreme Court decisions. As always, we'll be delivering our content unedited and raw. Thank you very much for listening to our show and for your support. Please go over to Apple, rate us, let us know what you think of what we're doing, and more importantly, listen. James Green has been incarcerated for over 34 years in the state of Pennsylvania. He claims to have proof that he did not commit the crime that he was convicted of. This is a typical case for the city of Philadelphia. Our hope is that someday, Larry Krasner or another DA will look into every single case prosecuted under Lynn Abraham. We've seen time and time again, corruption after corruption and wrongful conviction after wrongful conviction. James's story is one of true redemption. We're so grateful he joined the program. Thank you so much for listening. My name is James, James Green, born in Philadelphia, raised in the inner cities, you know, poverty. was born with a good mother, father left at an early age, and uh, never having a criminal background, no adult, I mean juvenile, no adult record, you know, and this is my first time incarcerated. I've been incarcerated for 34 years now for a crime that I didn't commit, and I've for years been trying my best to prove it, which I can but it seems like, you know, the courts didn't want to adhere to the justice and the truth. So basically that's my story as far as incarceration, but um, open-minded individual, grown, evolved throughout the years. And um, by the grace of God, man, I made it thus far. Like I said, 34 years, I've never been locked up. And uh, so here I am today, a living example that if you persevere and you Put your mind to whatever you goal you set is yours. Why don't you talk a little bit mm. about what it's like coming in so young and then kind of growing wow. older in prison? Wow. Listen, man, Holmesburg, 1989. I'm 19 years old, and uh, it was chaotic. It was uh, like hell, man. I thought the project that I came from, or what they call the hood now today, was the worst you can get subculture and things of that nature but when i got to holmesburg for the first time at 19 it blew my mind man it just was so so much violence it was so much uh disloyalty it was so much people trying to take advantage of the youth because we were young and we were basically following the older guys who walked around in robes and slippers and stuff like that and we thought we were doing something we were kids but these guys were adults and um the examples were bad, but 
again, like I said, the grace of God, I made it through Holmesburg and all the violence unscathed. And from there, I uh, went to Western. And, it, and this is state penitentiary after being convicted. Uh, and it just was even worse, you know. And it was like every turn, man, you either got to make a choice, man. You got to roll with the crowd or you have to, you know, make this, this, this stance that you're not going to be involved in the things that's causing people to get stabbed, causing people to get raped, causing people to be manipulated at a young age. So, again, um, I was able to make it through um, Western Penitentiary, and that's one of the oldest penitentiaries. And from there, I was sent to Huntington, and that was the university. That was a place where I began to, you know, hear different conversations as opposed to drug usage and, you know, uh, how to make wine and how to make a shank. I went there and I would sit down at a table and hear guys talk about real estate and hear guys talk about owning their own gas stations and, you know, uh, education and things of that nature. And that's when I was touched by that. And I began my journey at Huntington. That's when my journey and growth and development began. So you mentioned earlier that you've been in prison 34 years for a crime you never commit. Tell us about that yes. because I think that in today's time, the, the time is shifting and the needle is kind yeah. of shipping where people want to hear about people that's been in prison wrongly convicted, especially people wow. that come from urban communities that right. don't have the means to prove their innocence. So tell us a little sure. bit about your innocence. Okay, um, growing up in the inner city in 1988, man, crack everywhere. Uh, you had uh, violence everywhere, you know, police corruption everywhere. Guys were just getting ripped off the street. You, you'll you see them one day and next thing you know, they're gone. I thought I would never be one of those individuals, but I got swept up in that net as well. I was accused of shooting a guy, killing a guy and shooting a guy and uh, for burglarizing, home invading my home and three other neighbors' home. And I got the case for it. They, you know, I became the usual suspect because I was young black male. And um, what happened with that is now I'm, I'm being held in detention center and I'm trying to figure out what's going on. I need a lawyer. I don't have any money. I'm not a drug dealer. My family trying to scrape some money together. I get a court appointed attorney. He comes in and say, look, man, they're going for the death sentence. Go ahead and take this life sentence. I said, for what? I didn't commit the crime. I was still, don't worry about it, just plead. And I said, no. I, I said, I'm not gonna plead out to something that I didn't do. So long story short, the homicide detectives, the police department and the DA conjured up and made the surviving witness who initially survived and said that was not the man who, who, who shot me. This guy's a young kid, you know? I don't know who it was that shot me. But what they did was withheld all that information and put him up to say that I was the one who shot him. And this is how they did it. When he was going to the preliminary hearing to say, listen, this guy didn't do it, I'm getting this guy, y'all gotta let him go. The district attorney, who was Carlos Vega at the time, oh, said- oh, hold uh, on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold Repeat that name again. <laughs> Carlos Vega and, and Judith and, and, Rubino. And for those that are listening to this, we talking about the infamous Carlos Vega that was running for district attorney as a Republican candidate 
in the city of Philadelphia. The same Carlo Vegas that prosecute uh, Anthony Wright again. Sure. The same Carlo Vegas that came on death by incarceration and swear that he was about reform. Continue. Wow. Oh, man, I wish I'd known that. Well, anyway, the surviving witness, he, he did not allow him to go into the preliminary hearing, which I wouldn't be here talking to you guys, Kev or Suave. I probably wouldn't have known you. But he told the guy, no, you can't go in. You got to leave. And this is all on record. And the guy walked away. And eventually he went to my lawyer, which was a court-appointed attorney. He said, look, man, I went in there. They told me not to go into the preliminary hearing. So the lawyer said, well, what are you talking about? He said, man, the man didn't do it. He's not the person who shot me, man. Somebody said he shot me, so I just it's, threw his name out. But it wasn't him, man. So the lawyer took an affidavit statement from him and did as discovery uh, a request. You're supposed to turn over discovery to the district attorney. Once he turned over that statement, Carlos Vega sent homicide detective Scholl and two other homicide detectives to this kid's house on a Sunday and knocked on his door. His mother let him in. They said it's the police. I mean, homicide sergeant. They, I mean, detective. They brought him in and uh, told him, do we have to use these? He said they brought out handcuffs. And he said, no, for what? He said, you're coming with us. They took him down to the district attorney office on a Sunday. Shoal was the lead detective and three other detectives with him. They took him down to the DA office and made him make a cassette tape stating that I was the one who shot him. After my lawyer sent them uh, under discovery the statement. So now he, they said, if you don't make this statement, you're going to jail. He said, for what? They said, you didn't show up at the preliminary hearing. So now he forced to make a statement. So he makes a cassette statement. He goes back to the lawyer and say, yo, man, these guys just took me, man. They came to my mother's house and they took me down to the district attorney office and made me make a cassette tape. He said, of what? And he said, implicating Mr. Green. So now I'm, I'm at Holmesburg now going through all this chaos, not knowing where my life is headed. Trial time comes up. Judith Rubino, the district attorney, the lead district attorney, she brings the tape in. She never turned it over to the defense. And she says to the judge, uh, this tape right here, we want to play it. So my lawyer jumps up and says, yo, what are you doing? This is Brady. You, can, you can't, I don't know what's on that tape. So the judge said, well, well, wait a minute. He said, your honor, this is Brady. I never saw this. This is a surprise. And the judge said, well, do you have anything uh, uh, written in statement? She said, well, I have a copy of it. And they gave my lawyer a copy. He went and sat down as if he reading 15 pages of what's on this tape. What he should have done was say, oh, I want a suppression hearing. I want to know if his mother was there, if anybody, as he's saying. But he, they, he wasn't offered that. And we went to trial. They used the tape. He gets on the stand and said, they forced me to make this tape, this tape. That's not a true account. But but uh, crafty Judas Rubino, she was so crafty that she orchestrated the jurors into believing their theory. And here I had a court-appointed lawyer who didn't, didn't do his job. And what was the lawyer's name? James T. Lineberger. He's deceased now. And let me ask he, you a question. Is the witness still alive? Yes, yes. Yes. Do you think there's any possibilities that we could talk to him? 
And do you know um, how well, we could reach him? Well, let me say this. I'm in an uh, integrity unit because for 34 years, they never turned over discovery. I had nothing pertaining to my case, right? So um, according to the integrity unit, you can't approach or I can't approach. No, no, you're not, attorney. you're not approaching. We as an okay. independent podcasters, we sure. dealt with this. We dealt with cases like this before. We dealt with integrity units and you know, this ain't the first time we going around okay. with this. But okay. I think that the public should hear because sure. we also know that our show is being heard by a lot of district attorneys. Um, okay. And we had a few on our show, such as Krasner, Chester Bodine, and other people. Okay. Wow. Uh, wow. So we know that they listen to the show and we also know what public pressure could do, right, okay. for a case. So okay. we would love, we would love if you give us our, your name, we would love to reach out to him, have our investigators reach out to him and maybe get him to come on our show because we okay. think it's important. We think it's important that he speaks sure. about sure. your innocence. It will sure. help. Gotcha. That would be great. Um, I can have my attorney send that over to you because again, I don't want any, I'm just trying to, you know, get my discovery and see what's really in there. So I have my attorney get that to you and then y'all could work that from there. So that, that can be And who's done. your attorney? James S. Rollins. Okay. Tell him to call us uh, and uh, we could we definitely would love to talk to okay. him too. Okay. Okay. Because yeah. Yeah, continue. Now, this is how I get Rollins, the attorney to help me. I was watching uh, a case, a Walter Ogrod's case, I'm quite sure y'all familiar with. And uh I saw the same district attorney. I said, wow, this is the same attorney I had. And some of the stuff that they did with him, bring witnesses in there saying that he he told them about uh, the little girl that got killed. I said, wow. I said, so let me track this lawyer now. And I, I, I did everything I can to reach him. I wrote letters, I emailed, and I got no response. Then finally I got his phone number. And I talked to him and I begged him, man. I said, listen, man, I need you, man. I said, I need you at this time. And, uh, you know, so he listened to me. He said, wow, you're very articulate with your case. He said, well, look, I got a lot of cases. I'm a death row lawyer. I, I really can't help. I said, but I need you, man. So he said, all right, send me something. And I sent him some documents of what they did. And he went through it and he said, wow. About two months later, he came to see me and shook my hand and said, uh, we talked for like two hours. He said, I'm, I'm going to take the case. So that's how I was able to get him off of watching HLN, CNN, because any lawyer, any journalist, man, I'm sending letters out to, I'm trying everything I can to, to, to show that I could prove my innocence. But you didn't reach out. Arrived. You didn't reach out to death by incarceration. Well, you and, were still here. And, 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 and just so you know, and just so you know, we yeah. hot. We we good. Okay. That's you what's know, up. We good. That's what I need. Uh-uh. We okay. don't have well, 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 well let, let me finish this, bro. Okay. We don't have me, Kevin. We don't have Kevin McCracken on mm. the case if it's not a case. Wow. Just, just okay. so you know. Gotcha. Uh, gotcha. we also we also deal with a show called Injustice that we produce. Wow. This this strictly they strictly address wrongful convictions. And we got one of the hottest advocates out there for wrongful conviction, Lisa Speed, that co-hosts that show. Wow. So, 
So you know, so this ain't the first time we deal with this with with this issue. However, it's it, it's probably the first time that you have a witness yeah. that we could potentially talk to. You sure. know, that would say that would sure. talk to your innocent because I think that sure. that would take you a long way. Okay. Well, well that's, that's 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 a blessing, man. And I'm glad y'all got this open because again, my attorney deals with death row cases. He don't do because remember, I was supposed to be on death row, but they saw that I had no juvenile, no uh, adult record, no violence in any in, in my history. So they considered giving me a break by giving me life. I just had to fight and continue fighting, and now I'm fighting to this day. But this is this this is a blessing because I need this because my attorney deal with death row cases, and he have a lot of heavy cases, and I'm one case on the side, so things are moving real slow. He's a great attorney; I love him to death for even you know trying to assist me. But I need more help, and I'm is willing he, to pay. Is he based in Philadelphia? No, he's in Boston. Okay. And there it, therein lies the problem because he can't get things done in Philadelphia because Philadelphia is the clique. Philadelphia has their own civil lawyers, their own uh, public defenders, their own private attorneys. And when the outsider come in asking for documents, they say, I'll get out of here. So he's wow. from Boston. Yeah, he's so, from Boston. So, Kevin. Mm-hmm. What make this case stand out from the rest? Well, I mean, I think we've got a, a, a couple of things going on. We've got a, a, a bad witness, which I, we know eyewitness yeah. testimony is a joke anyway. Um, sure. One that was put under pressure by the district attorney's office. We've got, sure. we've got uh, a name in here that we have heard over and over again with these kinds of cases, Carlos Vega. Uh, we've, yes. We've got... Um, you know, a man in prison that has no prior criminal record and came from a good family. Uh, yes. You know, and so we can also talk to Spencer and Lisa at Injustice about doing, um, focusing on guilty while being black, you know, and mm. I mean, and we know Philly's got a history of racism when it comes to arrests, yes. especially in murder cases. So, yes. you know, we've got a, a, a large list of, of items we can go through and drill down with you on. Uh, and hopefully your loyal lawyer will give us some time to talk about. Does your lawyer have an investigator that they're working with? Yes and no, but like I said, he has nobody in Philadelphia. He has no real click. And oh. I've explained to him that he's he's been dealing with my case now for roughly three years, and we're still at a standstill. You know, we haven't moved anywhere. And I'm saying all we need to do is get the record. Mm-hmm. And... You know, that's the problem we're having, right? But now, let, let me share one more thing with you a bit, a bit. I got two more pieces. At the homicide, at, when the homicide occurred, four in the morning, the homicide sergeant was there, the detectives was there, right? The officers was there at the scene. The homicide sergeant testified, right, that a, a male witness, roughly 20 to 40 years old, came to him. This is his testimony. We, I had a cursory interview with him. And what happened? Uh, the lawyer asked him, oh, well, I drove the guy down. I told two officers to take two female witnesses, and I drove the guy down. So what happened? Well, I signed him into the PAB. That's the police administrative building. I signed him into the PAB, most likely, right? Took him to an officer's desk. 
And what happened? Did you get his name? No. Did you get his address? No. Well, what happened? Well, um, I took him to an officer's desk, and that's it. So, so, so who man. did he, who do, who did the who did the officer sign in? He don't know a stranger. He just no. So no, if you no, sign no, somebody no. in, that means you had to have a name. All right, now we're getting there. So, uh, fast forward, fifteen years later, in my case, I have a PCRA hearing. We find the witness. The witness said, "Yeah, he took me down." They sat me down there for nine, eight, eight, nine hours. They came and got me, put me in a vehicle, and drove me back to the scene. They never took any uh, statement from him or nothing. So he said, I just went on with my life. And years later, he found out I was accused of the crime. He said, oh, this kid didn't do that. So now, at the PCRA hearing, I had Dennis Colgan, and we presented, I asked Dennis Colgan to get the homicide sergeant who testified at my trial that I took a guy down. So he can identify this guy at this new PCRA hearing. And I could walk out of there free man. But that didn't happen. That's what happened. They didn't call the homicide sergeant. They brought in another homicide detective, right, who was an officer at the time. And guess what he had in his hand? The sign-in log sheet. My attorney didn't even have it. So he gets on the stand and say, uh, the district attorney, which is Robin Godfrey at the time, who Larry Krasner fired once he came in, but this was in 1998, she was the DA. She said to the homicide detective, this guy who testified that it was other people who shot him, is this guy's name on this list? And he said, he went through it and said, no. So my lawyer gets up and said, well, excuse me, the homicide sergeant testified that night while he was surveying the, the homicide scene that he drove a guy down. Is the homicide detective name, and I mean, is the uh, uh, homicide sergeant name on there? You know what he said? He went through it and said, no. How's that? This is a homicide sergeant going in and out. So they withheld the signing log sheet, took it back to the police department. I never saw it. Me and my attorney fell out because I said, yo, why didn't you get that? Why did you let him just get up there and say that this guy's name wasn't on there? This guy came and testified and said he did not shoot those people. These guys shot him. But we never had the signing log sheet. And now I'm still trying to get this to this day. See, I need our listeners Excuse to understand when we talk about these type of cases. If you from Philadelphia... Yes. You know that Richard Island yes. projects were notorious yeah. Yeah. at that time yeah. for drugs. Richard Island projects were notorious for police yes. to target black men. Yes. So, yes, today we're talking about Mr. James Green. Yes. Right. However, we could go back and back and find hundreds hundreds of cases hundreds of cases right where police did the exact same thing to you and we talking about just yes. one area in no. Philadelphia and this yes. is what I need the public to understand that we're not talking about Philadelphia Chestnut Hill we're not talking about Center City we're talking about the notorious housing projects, yeah. Richard Island, right? Yeah. 
these are stories that the public probably don't even know about it because at the time when it happened, there was no internet, there was no social media. Sure, <laughs> I but, wish it was. And to, in today's time, a lot of our young audience probably don't even yes. know Richard Island Project because they've been torn right. down. Right, 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 right. But do your history, yeah. America. Do yes. your history and check out what these cases happened. And yes. you would notice that yeah. at the beginning of the show, one name keep coming up. Mm. One name keep coming up. And that is Carlos Vegas. Yes. Right? The district attorney in your case also been yeah. fired. Yeah, sure. You know, so we talking about an administration, right? An administration that was corrupt to the core, processing, oh, they was trying to clear out, let me be clear, they was trying to clear yeah. out a homicide low of cases and they were just yes. targeting people. And a lot of them cases that they did that in, the, in 1989, 1990, a lot of them cases are now being uh, um, scrutinized by um, the integrity right. unit in Philadelphia. Right. You know, so should we believe Mr. Green? Mm. Or should we just say, you know what? Uh, We're we going to let it be? No, we mm. as American citizens of this country yes. Yes. have an obligation yes. to investigate any case, yes. any case that's been handled by a corrupt administration. Do yes. you agree with me, Kevin McCracken? 100%. Yes. 100%. Uh, I want to hear your thoughts on this, Kevin, because, you know, we've done a lot of well, these cases coming out of Philly, right? And it's always like the same party, like the same names keep coming up in some way in all these cases. Well, we had a history going all the way back uh, in Philadelphia. Uh, the entire administration of Lynn, Lynn Abraham had issues around convictions, especially murders, especially in drug areas, especially for black and brown men. And so yeah. we've got this long list of cases that are at the integrity unit right now waiting to be heard by the district attorney that's sitting uh, in the office today. Now, I'm not saying every case that Lynn Abraham's administration uh, prosecuted was dirty, but there's so many of them. And we had a right. constant issue, which is still going on, with police kind of colluding with certain district attorneys, right? And I know Larry Krasner's done a good job of weeding a lot of that out, but they are not supposed to be working together side by side right. on these cases. The police's job is to collect the evidence and submit sure. it to the DA's office for a decision. During the administrations of Seth Williams, Lynn Abraham, and probably yeah. before that, we had police working side by side with ADAs, yeah. especially Carlos Vega, Roger King, you know, sure. keep, we could make that list go on and on. Abraham was known as the deadliest DA in the country yes. for many years. So, and there's a reason for that. And we know what they were, what they were doing and who they were targeting. And our job is not only to help kind of push these cases along in the integrity unit, put the public on notice, but also make sure that we're humanizing yeah. our, our, our uh, interview, you know, guests, because people, yes. it's easy to blow this off. Right. If you're not yeah. sitting in prison or you don't have a family member sitting in prison, it's easy to say, right. oh, well, you know, do do the crime, do the time, you know. And yeah. but when you yeah. start talking to people, especially men like you who've spent their time in prison, educating themselves, helping uh -huh. other individuals 
build better sure. lives for when they get out sure. and, and continuing to stay connected with your community, people need to understand that this isn't by accident, that you've been, no. you've been doing this with a purpose. So, you know, sure. that's, that's my opinion on the whole thing, but I think your case needs a, a, a harder look and, you know, we can yes. send it over to Lisa and Spencer to do a little, a little series on. Please. That would be great. And uh, you just said a key word. People sit at home and say, oh, well, do the time, do the crime. It's not happening to me. It's not my son. But what is happening is, and I've been in jail 34 years, I'm starting to notice that poor white males are now being framed the way we were 40 years ago. So it's no color no more. It's beyond color. It's economics. And what is happening here is you get 42000 a year for a guy you create some jobs, you create, you know, uh, you can send people to college. So now everybody's in the barrel now, black, brown, red, yellow, and poor white people. And what is happening now, the trend is changing because white people are starting to see their sons and their daughters being treated the way we were 30, 40 years ago. Just like when they had the Heron epidemic in North Philadelphia, and that was the era that I grew up in in the 70s, and I seen how that stuff ravaged the community. But now you have opioids, the same thing that was done to us in Heron is now tilting over to the middle class and suburban white community, and guess what? They are locking them up now. So this is a crisis in America, and we have to stop this mass and the continual mass incarceration because we seem as if this is a business for America. We make up 5% of the world population, but we have more people incarcerated than China that has a billion plus and India that has a billion and Africa that has a billion. We have more of our citizens locked up. So who are gonna fight the wars if our country is invaded? You know, if a yeah. Ukraine situation happened here, we have no, People want to uh, uh, put their lives on the line because nobody's looking out for us, you know. Agreed. So, so, so in so, closing, so yeah. let me ask you this: I, What message do you have to the young kids in the community that are committing these horrendous <sighs> crimes now that prevent people wow. like us yeah. that's advocating yeah. to really yeah. do our work? Yeah, yeah. Give, give them a message. Um, well, I have a ministry that I started in here, and I mentor young men. I'm saying to the young people out there, man that you have so much going for you. And I understand it's hard to see because everything you see around you is negative. The video games is negative. The movies are negative. The, 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 the gangsters are now glorified with fancy cars and it looks good. But I'm saying I've walked the yard with young men and young women like yourself who want out of this hell. Don't put yourself in this hell. Take advantage of your education, right? Take advantage of all the opportunities that y'all have that we didn't have in the early 70s and 80s. We didn't have the doors open the way y'all had the doors open. Our doors was closed in the schooling. We didn't have aftercare programs and things of that nature. You guys have it, man, and I'm praying that these 34 years as an innocent man that I did in here, you should not have to suffer this. I put myself on the cross having to walk through this madness for you. So and, don't I, and, be like and my name is Swaba Gonzalez. Yes. And I approve this message with Kevin McCracken. And y'all listening to a new episode of Death by Incarceration on DBI Media. Again, I am your host, co-creator, Polisaur Award winner, Ideator Award oh. winner, 
Yeah. And my partner, Kevin McCracken, we left, we putting not only the country I know it is, but we put in every district attorney yeah. office and we put in the people that's out there yeah. campaigning to recall progressive yeah. district attorneys. They're paying attention to mm. cases like y'all yeah. I noticed that death yeah. by incarceration has a new mission. We back and we ain't playing no games. You listening to death by incarceration. Thanks. Thanks. To Thanks, our sponsor, All right, guys. Thanks, Glassbox Bob. and Kevin McCracken. Thank you so much for listening. Please support us on Patreon at Death by Incarceration Podcast. Hit that follow button on all platforms. Share with a friend or 10. Follow us on social media at Death by Incarceration on Instagram, at DB Incarceration on Twitter, at DBI underscore podcast on TikTok. For all booking and media requests, please email Kevin at Death by Incarceration Podcast.com. Death by Incarceration is a production of DBI Media LLC. Produced and written by Suave Gonzalez and Kevin McCracken. Editing by Jason Usry. Thanks to Crawl Space Media and Glassbox Media for being our partners. Please listen to our other shows, Injustice with Lisa Spees and Spencer Daniels, and watch for our upcoming special on the Camp Hill Riot of 1989. Special thanks to Checker for all their support of the show and to Kevin and Suave individually. We really appreciate it. Have a great week, everyone. And please, if you can, Take action. This is a Glass Box Media Podcast.